everyone. I hope you're having lovely, happy, sunny days. I am enjoying this heat so much during the day, perhaps not quite so much at night. Since we last met a couple of weeks ago, we've had the football finals and we've had the Wimbledon finals. Are you one of those people who watched the final of one of those for the first time this year? I was. Partly it just gripped me this year in a different way and partly because we have a TV licence for the first time in nearly 20 years. When we came back from Australia in 2002, our Australian telly didn't pick up the British channels and we didn't really feel compelled enough to do much about it. And I've had some very interesting letters from the TV licensing authority. They don't seem to read their posts, they just keep sending hassling letters. In one, they said that they'd be coming around to check very soon. And so I wrote back and said, I'll put on a chicken. Ten years on, I was a little bit bored by the way their communication didn't seem to take any of our communication into account. So one time I sent their letter back unopened and just put on the back of the envelope, I'll open yours when you open mine. I know, quite juvenile, but it felt good at the time. So it felt like a new experience for me to sit down in front of the Wimbledon men's final. And wouldn't that be the moment when the doorbell goes? As you approach our house, you can clearly see if someone's got the telly on. So I answered the door to find a chap, believe it or not, researching TV habits. I declined on account of the fact that having witnessed me watching TV about 10 seconds earlier, I thought he'd struggle to believe it was the first time I'd watched live TV in nearly 20 years. And I thought it might be quite a short questionnaire in my case. That all said, I do appreciate research if it's not too heavy. I think we live in a world where there's a lot of noise going on over social media and a lot of fake news and it can be hard at times to discern the truth. And I wonder on what information big decisions are sometimes made. Let me ask you this. Do you wish that your opinion and your perspectives were considered when the government is making decisions about your child's education? And do you feel that your views are fairly represented in the national press? This week, I've had a fascinating conversation with Karen Westbeezer. She runs an app called Parenting, which sends out three questions a day to parents and garners what the real habits and opinions are of today's parents. And the answers are influential in those key places where we want to be heard. And they're available to us too, so we can see what's really going on out there. Karen has two children, a nine-year-old daughter and a six-year-old son, who she refers to on her social media accounts as the mini-peasers. She's the COO of ParentPing and TeacherTap, which are these daily survey apps, and they're focused on education. She's an education researcher, and she's worked for the National Foundation for Educational Research and the BBC, amongst others. She's passionate about education, and it was lovely to talk to someone who's passionate about amplifying the parents' voices into the spaces where our perspectives should be heard and taken into consideration. That's one of her superpowers. This year, Karen was awarded an MBE for services to children with special educational needs. A woman devoted to education and that's a much deserved award and at the end she'll share a little bit about what she contributed to that space. And I started by asking her how her week was going because in the current climate and certainly last week one week could look very different from another depending on what bubble you're in.
up and down. I've had uh, my youngest at home, which was really weird. His attitude this morning um, was that he wanted to do some English and then some maths. I'm like, you could just watch telly. <laughs> and he's like, no, I want to do like at home school. Oh, that's brilliant. And he's on school holidays. Yes, <laughs> it's his first day of school holidays. Does he have a love of learning? Yeah, they're both my kids are quite good like that with my husband being a teacher and my daughter's quite bookish so yeah it's certainly something that's kind of ingrained in our household and with my work ethic as well <laughs> they, they, they understand that kind of getting on is a good thing. And you must have quite a high work ethic because I'm going to get on to all the sorts of things that yeah. you do there's a lot going on there isn't there tell me what you're doing at the moment and I want to work backwards a bit and see where you've come from. Okay, so at the moment I run a app called Parent Ping. So it's a free app for parents to download and each day you get approximately three questions about your parenting life. So it might be a question about whether you think it's right for kids to have homework or it might be a question more specific, did your child receive homework yesterday or did you help your child with homework yesterday so you answer your three questions and then you can go through on the app and you see the results that everyone shared from the day before so you get to see what other parents think and whether your views are the same or your views are a bit different to other parents um, and we also give a recommended daily read each day as well which is a, a blog or an article or it could be a podcast um, all about parenting that, that we hope parents might find useful and I'm really getting stuck into it and I'm, I'm slightly fascinated by some of the questions I'm going to dig into that but are you a researcher by nature? Yeah so I have been an education researcher for the best part of uh, 20 years I cut my teeth at the National Foundation for Educational Research but I've also worked at other places like uh, the BBC as well so I am fascinated by research and data and sharing the information to make a difference. That, that's what I'm, I'm really passionate about, making, making a difference as a result of what we find out. Yes, no, I think that's key, isn't it? So tell me, in the surveying that you've been doing on parent, pay, parent ping, where do you feel you are making a difference? Where do you think those answers are going? I think it's at two different levels. In fact, maybe there's three levels. So there's the difference it makes to parents to, to perhaps not feel alone in some issues, yeah. um, to feel like, you know, we, I, I have the same opinions or same concerns as other parents. That, that's quite nice. Um, I think we make a difference at the local level as well with schools and with head teachers. So one of my favourite findings is we asked this question as a parent, when you go into school, what do you want to be called? And they said they want to be called Karen or Mrs. Westpizer. We also asked what they did not want to be called and they did not want to be called mum. Oh, that's so interesting because it's so patronising, isn't it? Precisely. And actually and what they found, they do get called. So that was our third question. What do you actually get called? And they got called mum or dad by the teachers. And so we were like, this, this isn't, right this isn't putting us on a kind of equal footing in uh, respect to our child's education so this got picked up by teacher magazine the times educational supplement and so hopefully that message through us amplifying all of those parents voices has been picked up by teachers and maybe you know if just a few teachers stopped doing that 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 would be really nice I think. That's a really well-made point and I would stress that across different areas as well at the doctors at the opticians yes. because I'm a foster carer 
Mm-hmm. And the foster child I've got at the moment, he he doesn't like it when they call me mum. I'm not oh, of course. Mom. His mum no. is precious. And um, it's just that assumption, isn't it? It's interesting. Yes. I hear it a lot from uh, parents who have a child with a special educational need as well, because they have to go to a lot more of these kind of formal meetings where they're sat around a table with the teacher, with the head teacher, with uh, maybe an educational psychologist or someone from the local authority and they all have these lovely little name plates with their names and their, their doctor or their mister yes. on and they yes. they can quite literally get a label that says mum on it which is just it's just rude I think to be honest well it's quite depersonifying isn't it hmm. is that a word I'm sure that's how it makes you feel yeah so, I think yes so, so that's how we make a, an example of a difference at a local level we've also made a difference at a national level as oh, well definitely. um so we asked lots of questions during lockdown and homeschooling and some of the data um, that we collected during that part made its way into the government's roadmap out of lockdown so the government were listening to our statistics so the statistic they particularly picked up on was how challenging parents were finding it being able to do their job alongside the home learning that they were supporting and so that was picked up in that way so but did they do anything about it because I mean in the end people still had to home educate and juggle their jobs well but it was put in there as the reason that we should move out of lockdown and that schools should open again in the, in the kind of the balancing of the issues so that that's where it was cited it's also been cited in the press in sort of similar ways when there's sort of concerns and things that parents are raising And that kind of lobbying effect hopefully makes some difference. And it just gives parents a more powerful collective voice um, on some of these important issues. And I love the thought that we're in that room because we are the ones with them 24-7 and we're the ones raising them. And we're quite often not the ones that are actually representing them in the rooms of power. So that's fantastic. And of the different surveys, I've been having some fun going through your website, I was quite surprised by the mobile phone one because Mm -hmm. I spent a couple of years going into schools and doing talks on mobile phones and the impact and how to sort of change your family culture and support your children through all of that. And a lot of parents said, oh, I wish they were just banned in schools or I wish they were banned in our school. But actually Mm -hmm. on your survey, only 9% of parents actually thought they should be banned in their schools. So we put some some nuance around the question. So we asked about them being banned in the classroom and parents were quite supportive of that. I think it was about three quarters of parents were supportive of that. But when we asked about them being banned in schools in general, support is lower. And that's actually being skewed by the parents uh, who have older kids who are walking or taking public transport themselves to get to and from school. And parents want to be able to be in touch with their children during those journeys that's what they were telling us so whilst it's not particularly an issue uh, in primary schools and a lot of primary school parents are behind the idea of a a blanket ban once you get to secondary school the issues become a bit more complicated I think still a very low figure compared to what we perceive to be the public opinion and that's the interesting thing about what you're doing here is that we often think that public opinion is commensurate with the noise that is made. So, I mean, let's take a fantastic example of Brexit. The Brexiteers were more vocal. And so in the end, everybody thought they were carrying the bias, but it turned out not to be the case. And I can think of another few examples where I think, 
gosh, that must be 50% of the population, 80% <laughs> of the population. And then you look at the stats and it's not. And so what are you finding as you go that is changing your perception of what's going on out there? Yeah, I mean, the other thing is, and it, it, it comes down to how you ask the question quite often, but we've looked at behaviour in schools. So this is something that a lot of like the mainstream press and perhaps even the government would have you believe behaviour in schools is dreadful in England. But when we ask about this, we ask both what's behaviour like in the school where your child goes? And most people say it's pretty good. It's it's absolutely fine. And then we ask, and what do you think about behaviour in schools in England? And they're like, oh, it's probably not very good. So what we can do is really drill into personal experience and look at what's actually happening on the ground rather than trying to measure you know the, the broader uh, thoughts about what's going on we actually ask people what is going on and I think that can be a lot more helpful. But then I suppose one could also say that all surveys are a measure of the people that they study so do you know what your demographic is? Yeah we keep a close eye on this it's open to everyone and anyone who is a parent we have good representation across the different regions of England so that's good we have good representation whether your child is a boy or a girl we know that on average our parents have 1.8 children so uh, that's probably slightly below the national average number of children we keep an eye on how many of our respondents have children who have a special educational need whose children are eligible for free school meals and we're, we're pretty good on all of those we're, we're close to the national average on all of those where we're a little bit out we have slightly more parents who uh, have a child in primary school than parents who have children in secondary my next school. question yeah they're more to the ground at that point they're, they're more engaged in school life on a daily basis yeah. aren't they I'm not um, saying they're more interested in their child's academic career I want to stress but I they, think they just have different like, different interests and so we try to have slightly different questions for each of those groups the one where we're most out of kilter and I don't know whether any of your listeners can help with this is we're out of kilter on dads we have an awful lot more mums than oh. dads answering we have enough dads that we can look at the data and compare what mums think to what dads think which is really interesting because they have quite different different opinions on some things like the mobile phones and the behavior that's an area where we see mums and dads having slightly different opinions so we would love more dads to join in so if you're out there and you're male or you're living with a male (laughs) get them to go on parent ping and put their opinion forward because it's fascinating isn't it let's drill down a little bit on that word catch up that we're all hearing a lot of i mean You already know, and many of my listeners do, that actually I'm a home educator, but mine have all gone through senior school. So the idea of missing out on that much fluid education, I can grasp how concerning that can be. What are the opinions out there on catch up? Um, On the whole, certainly at the moment, I'm finding that parents would rather their children were allowed a little bit more free time with their friends and their family rather than educational catch up but it it does depend on how old your child is so one of my favorite questions that we asked or one of the most revealing questions that we ask is do you think your child's future will be affected by the year of covid lockdowns Mm -hmm. and parents who have a very young child thinking sort of four five six years old over half of them think no it won't make any difference at all in the long term but as the children get older 
the percentage of parents who don't think it's going to make a difference gets smaller and those who are getting very worried about it gets bigger. And one other nice little fact from that, though, is there's a small proportion of parents, maybe sort of 15 percent ish, who think it is going to make a difference, but that's going to be a positive difference. So I think we need to sort of remember that group of kids who've who've actually thrived through some of the, the things that have happened in lockdown and some of the ways that school has been run has worked better for some kids, not all, but a quiet minority. And I can relate to that because I've got an 18 year old and categorically it's going to affect his A-levels. I'm not yes. quite sure which way yet. Um, and will that affect his university entry? It's possible that universities will be a little bit more flexible with the results this year. That could be positive. It's possible that they don't have a chance of attaining what they would have got and it all could go a bit pear shaped. So mm. sometimes, as you say, these questions need to be nuanced because there isn't one answer that covers the question. So when it comes to catch up, have you been able to dig in at all on what parents want to happen with their children over the next academic year? At the moment, we're just worrying about this summer. So we've been asking what, what they want to happen this summer. And actually, that's, again, heading towards just having a bit of, of peace and quiet. They don't know too much about what the government have got planned in terms of tutoring um, and extended school days. We have checked on both of those things at the moment. Parents aren't big fans of them. But I think that's because the government haven't quite decided how those things are going to actually work and I think perhaps once there's a bit more detail wrapped around them opinions could change but for now we're just worrying about the summer so actually what we're, we're doing this summer is we're having a, a specific focus on catch-up and we're calling it the uh, parent ping summer survey and we're working with a range of organizations to find out what exactly is happening this summer because so many people say they need the kids need to catch up and they all have a different opinion on what needs to be caught up, whether it's the academic, whether it's the social. There's a whole lobby group for doing more sports this summer. Everyone has an opinion about what should be done this summer, but no one knows what's actually happening. So we'd love people to join in Parenting for this summer to, to get a really accurate picture about what summer holidays really look like across the country. And bearing in mind those summer holidays are pretty much starting if they already haven't in the next week or so, mm -hmm. have you got enough time to gather data and be influential? Uh, yes, so the surveying, we're launching this week and we will be asking our three questions every day throughout the summer holidays. We'll be reporting back the findings to parents in the app on the following day in our blog that we publish once a week. And then at the end, we're going to write a report that we will share with government, with the press, and hopefully try to, to really spread the message about what parents want before government decides what parents, what they think parents need. Forgive me if I'm not quite grasping all of this, but if you're doing a survey and you're going to gather your results at the end of the summer, but the survey is about what is supposed to happen in the summer <laughs> no no that, that's a fair point I'm not explaining myself well so I guess it's it's to try and shut down some of the people who say this should be happening this summer because people don't know what happens in summer in general so I I guess what's going to happen is already in place play schemes summer camps and things like that are there already we want to kind of capture what it is happening and we're, we're very able to do that kind of live in the moment with our daily polls 
And who do you think the people are who are supposedly having this opinion that don't really know what's going on? I think it's all sorts of different organisations. I think it, it will come up in the press a bit over the summer as other stories quieten down. I think they will start talking about what, what families are doing or not doing. Also, as uh, people are, are less able to travel overseas and have their regular holidays, I think children and young people and families will be quite a lot more visible around the countryside this year. But the government are constantly interested in this. We have quite a lot of education charities and organisations approaching us to ask us what kind of activities they think parents want. So we can feed all of this back to all of those different stakeholders. I think the press often give a skewed opinion. I can remember the last time I saw a home education piece in the press and it was going back a few years but there was this family sort of sitting under an apple tree trying to decide whether or not to do maths or not today surrounded by chickens and I thought Oh my word, <laughs> I'll show you what it's like. Mm. But one of the um, surveys that you did that I thought was interesting was around whether people are going to take their children out early in case they've got mm -hmm. a holiday booked and therefore they're going to do their pre-isolation and not risk COVID. Mm. Now, given the noise about that out there, if I had to guesstimate, I think I'd go 50-50. About 50% are going to take their children out early. <laughs> That's not the case at all, is it? No, I don't think so. It's edging up. So this is one of the questions where we take advantage of doing polls every day. So we've asked it a couple of times. We also asked it three times, I think it was, in the run-up to the Christmas holidays. And we saw a gradual increase as we got closer to the actual end of, of school date. But on the whole, it's, it's less than 10% who are... Yeah doing it um, I think when we last asked it was one percent definitely doing it and about three percent who might do it then 15 percent who probably won't but didn't want to commit so it's a really small proportion but like you say they, they make quite a lot of noise and people talk about it quite a lot as though it's a common occurrence but so far we're, we're not seeing the evidence of that a classic case of the noisy minority Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's fine people can make as much noise as they like but I think we have to be careful how we estimate a public opinion tell me which survey have you been most surprised by um the, there's one that we have done in the last week or two that I was a little bit surprised by about how much you know about your child's teacher um, and I think this is somewhat of my bias that my kids are younger. My, my own kids are in primary school still. So sometimes I don't understand what's, what's coming down the track for me in secondary school. So we asked, what do you know about your child's class teacher or form tutor? Do you know their first name? Do you know whether they're married? Do you know what university they went to? And in primary school, quite a lot of parents did know that. But in secondary school, it's quite the unknown it, it's really uh, not something that the parents are involved in they got in touch with me we have a Facebook group as well where people <laughs> when they don't like my questions <laughs> they write in and, and share their opinions on what what I should have done better which is tremendously useful I love them um, but they were like this this doesn't quite work for us um, and that came through in the data that secondary school parents don't know that type of information but then we re-ran the question and said do you know this about your head teacher and actually, they, do, they all know their head teachers really well, better than they know their class teacher, which I was a little bit surprised by, because that's not who your child has the relationship with at primary or at secondary. 
but actually that's the direction that the relationship is with the parents. I would want to say that depends on the culture of the school. So mm -hmm. having five children, we've done a lot of the local schools mm -hmm. and there was one headmaster. I saw him once in the entire school career of my children. I couldn't tell you anything about him, yet you have other schools where there's, it's warm and it's friendly, mm -hmm. it's much more sort of familial culture. And I think you tend to know more about those sort of people, don't you? And, and in defense yeah. of the parent, I think quite often at senior school, it is the moment when the hand comes up slowly from the school side and says, we'll take it from here. And actually <laughs> as much as you might want to be involved in your child's secondary academic career, you are not necessarily invited to at the same level. In fact, as you say, you don't know what's coming along the road for you. I think it's quite a shock, particularly if you've been a parent who's been very involved at the PTA, the school gates, that inclusive person, supported all the activities, and then all of a sudden you're just persona non grata and there isn't really a joined up approach as much. I'd be interested in that question. Yeah, and I think it's quite interesting. It's something that I, I talk to teachers about a lot as well, because particularly over the past year when schools have had to pivot quite a lot and think about how they're communicating with parents for a change. Um, a lot of secondary schools have come out of that thinking and saying, what can we do to become more engaged? How can we talk to the parents much more? Um, and my answer to them is, is be more primary because primary schools do do a great job of this. I'm sure there's some small takeaways that secondary schools could, could learn from around that as well. They can be more community minded, can't they? And of course, sometimes they have enormous numbers to deal with and that can mm. be harder. One of the surveys that I was less surprised by was the amount of parents that are worried about their child's self-esteem because of my end and what I do and the parents that I see and the people that I speak to. I'm aware that's a really big deal out there. What did you make of that? Yeah, it, it is something that we were quite concerned about. And actually, we went on and we got a parenting expert to come in uh, and to run a little webinar um, on that topic because we didn't want to run those types of questions where we're raising issues like self-esteem and mental health without providing some support for parents as well so it is certainly a growing concern and something that we we keep an eye on but that we're quite careful about how we ask about those topics and we certainly don't want to delve into anything that would become too sensitive because we can't we can't on a, a whole scale basis provide the support that would be needed to go alongside those. Yeah, that's well thought through. And if they join the Facebook page, are you suggesting that they can ask questions of their own or put questions forward? Yeah, I'm always open to having question suggestions. I have to come up with three, three a day for seven days a week, 365 days a year. So I always have space for more questions, um, particularly from those coming from parents who've got children in secondary schools or from dads. You know, people have a really different perspective to me um, would always be useful. But we try to kind of keep our finger a little bit on the pulse. So we will ask about topical issues, but also, yeah, other things that are occurring to in people's lives we're, we're keen to follow up on for them what motivated you to do this i'm really interested in i'm interested in data i'm interested in giving parents a voice like i say i've been an education researcher for best part of 20 years but i can count on one hand in those 20 years the number of projects i did which actually sought out the parents views nearly every project i did 
sought out the teachers' views. Most looked at data that about kind of how well kids did in tests and things like that. A few asked for uh, the pupil views, but hardly any asked for the parent views. And that that doesn't seem right to me, that the parents, as you say, are with the child so much more than any school or any teacher is ever going to be. And so when it comes to supporting children's education, to have the parental voice missing, it, it just seems wrong. So parenting is, is, is trying to connect those dots up and to try to, to find out more about what's going on in home life, particularly with regard to education, and share that back with the academic community, with schools and with government. So would you say your emphasis is more on education than school life? I would say it's probably more on education than necessarily family life. As a broad rule of thumb, I try to ask questions about school type issues on a kind of Monday to Friday and more fun or more parenting type questions on the weekend. So, you know, we've asked things about, you know, who's responsible for stacking the dishwasher or uh, what chore do you have the most arguments over or uh, do you keep a secret bedtimes do you keep a secret stash of food that the kids don't know about you know <laughs> where do you keep the good chocolate somewhere we've asked all of those interesting parenting questions as well but yeah. during the week we tend to ask things that are a bit more related to education and school it's just that I've noticed over the last 10 years or so that education has broadened out a lot more they're they're looking at the whole person more not necessarily because they're led that way but because they've been led that way the stats and the outcomes and the anxiety the neurodiversity you know all of those issues have forced schools to look at the broader spectrum of issues such as how they're coping emotionally at school so that was why I asked that question because I think that school is now a place where we appreciate a person is being and living, not just attaining. I think so. I, I think there's been another driver in that trend as well, in that other services uh, have had their budgets cut in a more severe way than education has. So things like Sure Start centres, there, there are far fewer of those now. And the kind of the waiting list for CAMs and things like that is, is pushing all of the, the youth work, all of that wraparound support around the young person is, is shrinking back to the school. So I think schools are having to do a lot more of that type of work now as well. Schools are stepping up a little bit. Yeah, more. I think they are. We referenced at the beginning of the conversation your work ethic, and I'd love for you to tell me what else you're doing at the moment, because you're not just doing this, are you? Um, <laughs> uh, for fun, I do other education-related things. So. I sit on my local appeals panel for if you don't get your child into the school that you want to and you appeal. Uh, I'm one of the lay members of that panel for my local authority. <laughs> so hard. It, in fact, it's heartbreaking. I learn an awful lot from it. What I learn about parents is that the system is far too complicated. The parents don't understand the difference between different types of schools you know academies or local authority schools and who the admission authority is yeah. for those and how school places are allocated it's too opaque in my opinion and 
I don't want to put this back on the parents, but the expectations that you have a free choice of school, I think is too high. And that's something that's a myth that's kind of perpetuated that you can have a choice of school because in some places in the country, frankly, you can't. And tell me, Karen, what's a courageous thing that you've done in your life? Well, when lockdown hit last year, it, I, it was pretty tough for me. My, my grandfather died of COVID in a care home and I got furloughed from my job in a special educational needs charity. And that all happened within the space of a week. But despite the negatives, I, I, I have a really strong work ethic and I wanted to keep going. And so I tweeted out on my social account, I'm the type of person who reads Ofsted reports for fun, help, what am I going to do? And Matt Hood, who is the principal of Oak National Academy, reached out and got in touch and said, keep it on the download, but we're starting the national online school. Could you come and start up the specialist provision for, for the children with special educational needs and uh, run this for me? So Huge. yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> so how did you even set about that? So it was getting on the phone quite quickly. So I got in touch with all of the head teachers uh, and people I know who work in special educational needs schools and special educational needs charities and bringing them together. And between us, well, I say between us, I facilitated them to <laughs> design a curriculum for special schools that could be presented online at short notice. And we also brought in therapies, so speech and language therapy and physical therapy as well. So those schools that weren't able to continue running, um, that there was somewhere that they could point their parents and their learners to that actually had provision that was specially catering to, to as many of their needs as we could cover. And in what time frame did you have to put that together? It was just a couple of weeks. Um, so I had a, a, a one week lag. So Matt had been thinking about it for a week and got, got the national, uh, the mainstream school started. And I was a week after that. <laughs> Gosh, that's insane. That's a huge <laughs> amount of practice in a week. <laughs> my year eight curriculum, please. <laughs> but tell me why that felt so courageous to you. It was just the biggest piece of work. I, I, maybe it wasn't courageous because I think at the beginning I didn't appreciate how much work it was going to be. But it was doing that on top of all of these other things that were going on in life the the virus and um looking after my own children at home my husband's a teacher so we could have had key worker status if we'd wanted but we didn't feel that that was quite right or necessary so was trying to make sure that their education was continuing whilst trying to set up this school for for all of the other kids across the country and actually you make a good point about courage there maybe the stepping out wasn't courageous but once you find yourself in the middle of something it takes courage to keep going yeah and it, it was really it was really challenging because for mainstream schools there's a national curriculum or at least there is set examination points where you know a certain amount of knowledge has to be put into a child by these different waypoints for special schools that doesn't exist there's no final exam there's no curriculum and actually all the different special schools across the country define the needs and the progress that their children make in different ways there's not there's not a unified language to describe the different needs that kids have yeah so yeah perhaps if I had understand the depth of the challenge before we started it might have been a whole lot scarier but uh, yeah I, I dived in. 
Well done for diving in. That is no small thing. I'm so sorry about your grandfather. Well, to be honest, without it being the COVID year, it probably he he was of that age and in a, a long-term heart failure condition. But but the not yes. seeing him. No, the not seeing him was harsh. It was it was right at the beginning, just when they were locking down the care homes, and they had actually booked us in to have a visit that day. We were going to go, my brother and I, in full PPE and uh, and and see him what we thought would be for the last time. And uh, yeah, it, it didn't happen. But he was one of these ones who was sent home from hospital with COVID and infected his whole care home. So it was horrible. It's extraordinary, isn't it, what they did at the time? But I don't think any of us were equipped. We've done a year and a half now, nearly two years or whatever it is. And now we're all experts, aren't we? I mean, if you'd had a nurse ping... Yeah. <laughs> yes, that would be the next one, wouldn't it? You might have known fairly quickly, or a, um, a care home ping. People might have been saying, why are you sending us all these people with COVID? Yeah. I loved our conversation. She's so bright and insightful. And I love that she fights for the parent voice to be heard. And she was just such a joy to chat to. I've joined Parent Ping, and I'm already thinking of questions I'd like to ask. My first one will probably be, do you think detentions are effective in schools? If you want your voice to weigh in on the large and small decisions and commentaries around your children, download Parent Ping. It's easy and it's free. And you could also hop on the Facebook page if you wanted to. The app asks three short questions a day and you get sent a quick read or a listen on a parenting issue as your bonus each day and, and you get fascinating reading. I'm not a heavy research fan but I do love a bit of truth so I've really enjoyed seeing some of the survey results. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks. I'm doing podcasts fortnightly during the summer and then in September I've got a couple of changes that I think you'll like based on research. In the meantime, do grab your copy of Parenting for Life. Come and find me at thecourageousmama.com or pop onto the link below. In the meantime, enjoy this glorious weather and I'll do the same. <laughs>